0: This is part two of my conversation with Robin Brady Ince. Is...
1: You know, I think we're all called to what we're called to. It's it's funny because I um, I see the different work that I've done, the f- different spaces I've been in, not so much as a career, but as sort of a journey. Um, and that I'm called to do the work of advocacy and access through this thing called education. Um, on behalf of people who don't have full access to those opportunities. Um, yeah. Um, and, um, and it and it manifests that that walk manifest in a bunch of different spaces that I'm in, you know, that nicely, you know, give a salary and some benefits.
0: Let's um, let's actually talk about that because oh, I think okay. that that yeah, that really should be the, you know you should be the focus point of this podcast <laughs> why is your podcast I like hearing it I'm the you host too. you're the guest oh. mm-hmm. uh, okay. okay but no 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 but that is an interesting topic I, I think I want to hear more about sort of like where that came from why or how you decided to go into that space and you know um, and some of the issues surrounding access to education and things like that and Particularly, you know, what does it mean for underserved um, communities and so forth? Um, So there's a question in there somewhere. That's funny.
1: (laughs) So I haven't talked to you about that. My um, essay I wrote to get into college. I haven't talked to you about
0: that. Uh, You probably did, but I don't remember. But uh, you sort of retelling the story is not for my benefit. It's for the audience benefit. I don't know you. Okay, fine.
1: Yeah. So... (laughs) you know, so I, I think that I am solving a problem that I encountered when I was in second grade. That's what I think. Um, and I think that that has manifested in something called educational access and opportunity um, and making sure that people have equitable access to the tools and resources they need to meet their promise um, as gifted by the universe. Uh, when I was in second grade, I remember there was a boy, uh, Florencio, who sat behind me because of our last names, right? Mine came first and his. And he would, I guess, in my seven-year-old memory, he would often do stuff that got him in trouble, that resulted in his getting in trouble. Uh, I don't remember him as bad, but I remember he, he, him always getting in trouble. And um, when his family would hear about it, it was always negative, negative, negative on him. Um, and I remembered feeling bad for him and um, yeah. So so that was second grade. We lost him before he was like, I think he was in his 20s. He wound up... Um, getting killed oh wow yeah um so you knew him from second grade
0: until you're 20
1: no so because I got separated right so a lot of my so so knew him in second grade then we we went we knew each other second grade through seventh grade Mm. and um in seventh grade we were in a different school he was one of the few people I knew and he he would kind of like look out for me and just you know um, help me kind of navigate uh, the new school space that we were in. And then when I went to eighth grade, I went to a school that you had to test to get into. So there I got separated, right? So I'm separated mm-hmm. from um, some of the young people I grew up with. Others came to the high school as well, but I had been separated from them in sixth grade. So there's this kind of these breaks that are happening. And... In high school, um, I got I got access to different opportunities to apply for different um, you know summer programs and things like that. And often it was because the um, the information would wind up in my backpack, or I would be called to the office and uh, we would be given the information. And so. When I would get home with it, you know, there was no excuse not to fill it out. So I would fill out the paperwork, even though I didn't want to go to a particular program. And the perception amongst my peers in school was that I thought I was better than them. But I would often like tell them about the program. I'm like, mm-hmm. look, here's here's you know, go to Miss Such and Such and get the application. So um, again, this kind of needing to help others. I come from um, a family that is a, a family that is, a family in a community was really about service, being neighborly, um, engaging with others. And the community that I grew up in had been segregated um, until about the 70s. And so all of the black folks in the community basically knew each other. And if you didn't know each other, you knew each other's sort of last names. So whether you were living in, um, the older community, which tended to have lower income people there, or you lived in the sort of community where the newer houses stuff were, you all knew each other. And Mm -hmm. so there was always an expectation that you give to others, you're respectful, just because someone has less than you, you know, you're not to look down on them or treat them any differently. And just because someone has more than you you're not supposed to just automatically defer to them, right? So right. there was a balance um, growing up. But uh, yes, I think, I think that's sort of what drove me, this, this wanting others to have access to what I either knew or what I had the opportunity for. And not necessarily being able to do that in a really robust manner. So that was the that was the essay that I wrote to get into college. It was about educational access opportunity. Um, And it wasn't until my 40s that I remembered writing that essay. And that was after at that point I had been working from 1990 till that moment in spaces that gave people um, access to college or access to um, a program that got them into better schools, et cetera, et cetera. This, so education in this country is the means through which people can attain their goals. It starts out even in you know, kindergarten, first grade, elementary schools, you know, being able to access um, not only the ability to read, but the ability to be literate, to think critically, to, to uh, be able to read a text and ask questions about that. Um, and all of that feeds into better opportunities in high school. And it feeds into being able to exercise Choices about what kind of thing you want to pursue after high school, whether or not that's a technical degree, or if it's um, going to the military, or if it's going to college. And what I have found in the years of working um, in the space of advocacy and policy is that quite often what happens is people think, oh, you know, I went to school and I got a degree from high school, got my high school degree. So I should be ready to access any of these different choices I have only to find out that the quality of their education may not have prepared them or the types of classes they've taken might not give them what they need to to be able to exercise a full interrogation of the choices they have. And that's the thing that bothers me. It's not my drive isn't that every single person has to go to college. My drive is every single person needs to be able to have what they need to make big bodacious choices about where they want to study or get a credential from so that they can have um, the life that they dream of and they deserve. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and quite often, it doesn't happen because they just don't know that, you know, this particular thing should have happened fifth grade to sixth grade, or that particular thing should happen um, senior year, and um, yeah, and it quite, it happens most often in underserved and minority communities, and it also happens in white communities um, as well. It just, you know, ideally the equity that exists would, you know, it's not racial equity. Um, it's not a racialized lens. It is just ensuring that people have what they need as individuals in
0: order to achieve their promise. Okay. Um, so what do you think? Well, I think you sort of did couch it as in um, this, this problem of uh, non-access or uh, disinformation, not disinformation, or lack of information, lack of choices uh, happening more often in uh, communities, minority communities, poor communities. Um, and I think, Uh, It may be self-explanatory that in communities where you have uh, fewer resources, and that's why, um, you know, maybe it is economical, uh, and that's why uh, students may not be given the information or even the access to uh, the different paths um, that they could take. Um, okay, that said, what, sorry, long preamble to a very simple question. Yeah. What do you think the uh, major barriers are for why uh, kids, students may not be given or may not have access to all, all the opportunities that they should have?
1: Low expectations. Low expectations and on the part of whom? I think it's low, I think it's low expectations, often on the part of adults they encounter, you know, in some respects, and that could be yeah. it could be fluid. So sometimes it's low expectations of family unit, sometimes it's low expectations of teachers, low expectations of state leaders. Um, you know, all of which, much of which I think can be informed, it goes back to the earlier conversation we had, um, it's informed by fear and notions of scarcity and lack, right? So if everyone in this country went to college, Mm -hmm. are there enough seats, right? If everyone in in, in this country went to college, how does that affect basic supply and demand laws and the mm. ways that you can charge people? And then, if that impacts the way you can charge people, does it impact profits? So it's just, you know, I, I think, I think those are some of the um, challenges. But a lot of what I see gets in the way is fear. Those, it's a lot of it is fear.
0: Fear. Those, in the job, Fear. Yeah. But those challenges that you just named—they're logistical. By and large, but who changes the logistics of it? Um, I guess. I guess the the reason I pointed out is these are logistical challenges. Uh, that that's probably the easiest thing to solve. That if there was a will behind it, right? If there was a desire, if there was that demand, or if there was that political will, or if there was that economic uh, means to create those opportunities, then. Figuring out the logistics of it is is sort of that's the easiest thing to do. But I it think, is the
1: easiest thing. Yeah. But you, but you know, a lot of times there isn't the will, there isn't the expectation. Like, do do we expect that if I point that out, the person is going to say yes? Do I expect that if I point that out, you know, a kid's going to get retaliated against? I mean, I, I have been witness to scenarios like that where you know children are having challenging experiences in their particular classroom. And rather than say anything about it, the families don't because of fear of of retaliation, right? But what's happening to the young person is absolutely inappropriate, absolutely inappropriate. Fear of retaliation from where? Um, The school setting. So it could vary from, you know, the school itself, a particular district,
0: um, a, a teacher. So are we, um, okay, so are we saying, what are we saying is, is sort of the the origins of, of these issues, is it stemming from lack of resources or economics, or um, motivation, or culture, or...
1: Um, one could say maybe motivation if you want a, a sort of broad framing of it, right? Because, you know, public education in this country was established in late 1900s writ large. Um, and at that point you were basically given civic education for the purpose of being able to work in the yeah. industry that existed that time and vote, yeah. right? And um, I'm not sure that the system has really evolved beyond that much. Um, and at the time it was structured in the industrial age. And so, you know, schools were configured in a particular way. Even the fact that we have summers off, right? That was really- um, Farming. Because we were, yeah. Yeah. Well, are kids farming? No. No. So yeah, I mean, yeah. for the most part. So there, there are conversations that are had every few years about the possibility of extending
0: the school year or shifting the school year um wholesale. Particularly and, in the lower grades, because you do have that whole uh, you know, you come back in September and kids have forgotten everything during exactly.
1: The summer. And yeah. every single year is the discussion. I mean, every single year, summer learning loss, kids can't read, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. What are we getting from having that perpetual conversation? It just it it, it boggles the mind. But again the, if the will is there to do that, it is not being acted upon in in a meaningful and sustained way. And what often happens in that narrative is that the child is blamed and, or the family is blamed, right? So, you know, what's going to happen is the kids who have the summer learning loss tend to be the kids whose families don't have the resources to connect them to summer programs. Yeah. Those families, are not entirely just families who are poor. Some of those families may have access because they're in districts that have the resources and the seats for the kids to do the program. Some of them may not have access because they're working families and they can't get the young person to the summer program because the summer program starts after work and it ends before work is over and they don't have anyone in the community that they know of who can take the child back and forth or pay for it. So those are things, so that's, that's again, when we create inequitable systems or an equitable, we have systems in place and programs in place, but don't consider the inequities that prevent families from taking advantage of them. And rather than interrogating and controlling for and correcting the inequities, the families just get blamed but the child gets blamed, and it's this ongoing perpetuation of low expectations, low outcomes, low self-esteem, etc. That you know leave us here having this question.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that's a huge um, set of issues. I don't even know where to begin. Sort of, kind of parsing that. to to delve deeper. Some of the
1: ways, I will say some of the ways I have, um, you know, I have uh, where I can in an informal or informal way, I encourage people to bring up hard questions uh, within their school settings um, and to do so at Board of Ed meetings, letting people know how they can exercise their um, rights as citizens within structures like um, you know, school board meetings, elections and the like. And then also being able to educate folks on how they can navigate within particular systems. So sometimes those folks who are getting access to information are people who are staffers within particular schools. And if you get access to information and then bringing those people together to then think about how they can approach conversations differently and productively, and then supporting them as they have those conversations can work to impact and elevate opportunity for everyone in a particular setting. There's also, there's always this notion that if we help those people, then these other people are going to lose. That's the thing that keeps us apart. It's not necessarily the
0: case. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of thinking, though, I think it permeates through to other aspects of life, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, That sort of zero-sum game kind of, you know, mentality. Yeah, it was like what we were
1: talking about earlier with how, you know, things played out this past summer. Like, it's an either-or. It's it's not either-or um yeah at all uh and you so 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 that's much of much of the work I do and I'm you know I'm able to do that in informal and in 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 formal and in informal spaces (laughs) uh all with an eye toward having having individuals feel that know where as much as possible, know where they can go to get the information, providing encouragement that um, they um, are worthy to access the information. Because sometimes if you're accessing like some policy, there may be an assumption that I'm not smart enough to read the policy. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's not necessarily you're not smart enough. You just may not be... um, familiar with the language that's being used in the document, that's all. And so you just need someone to sit next to you to say, okay, what you've said doesn't work in your school is called this in a policy document. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, someone sees that and understands, oh, they do get what I'm saying, they just say it differently, then they feel a little more confident about having a conversation with someone that they might have assumed thinks, again, that they're not worthy. It just, it, it sort of flattens the hierarchy and can result in really productive conversations between, you know, a parent or faculty member um, and, you know, someone who's working in policy or reform or decision-making in uh, educational setting. And that's ultimately what my goal is, is not to, you know, Position people to protest is really to position people to be able to have conversations and interactions and co create possibility for children, families, and people in their communities.
0: That's the goal. That that is an incredibly uplifting and positive way of looking at it and approaching it. I think, in, in general, not just on, only about education, but uh, about anything in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think uh, today, not enough people are having that kind of conversation, uh, but having a sort of us and them uh, sort of, you know, um, yeah, or even, even the use of the word equity in, in a very sort of Uh, hostile kind of way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But you can't tell me that just because of you know a particular district is offering summer programs, you know if the summer program runs from ten a.m. to three p.m. Yeah, and there's no bus service provided in the summer, whereas in the school year there is bus service provided. Yeah. And there's no before care or after care provided, but in the school year it is provided. Right. Then who do you really think is going to get to take advantage of that yeah. program? It yeah. is inequitable from the outset. Yeah. And so then when the school year starts and you tell me that X percentage of the kids are behind, well, of course they're behind. Because the, you know, in part, not even of course they're behind. Then the question is great, understand that. What did the district do to ensure equity in the offerings of what you all were putting forward to solve for, you know, low reading scores or low math scores? And, you know, unless someone said, well, we did put in, we did make the school buses available and we made before care and after care available, just like we do during the school year, if I hear that, then we can have a conversation. But if I don't hear yeah. that, then we need to talk about the fact that it is an equitable system for which you're trying to get equitable results. That it, there's an imbalance in that.
0: Um, here's, I think, uh, maybe it's just me. Um, I think it's sort of the the, maybe it's the lexicon that has changed or the definition that has changed, but so um it sounds to me the word equity sometimes i think is used differently and yes. mean different things yes. depending on who's saying them mm-hmm. not necessarily the context but be- depending on who's saying them from which political sort of uh orientation they're coming from it's specifically a political orientation that mm-hmm. they're coming from mm-hmm. and i and i think the way you're saying it the way i hear it is is what the word equality used to mean. Equal access, equality, equal opportunity, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Equity means, to me, it means something different. And I'm wondering if maybe it's just my is it my misunderstanding or no. It's that it's a, the use of the lexicon has changed and so that's sort of using it. yeah, well, it's like what you say. So the word has been weaponized, right? Yeah. The
1: one thing and so it's taken a long time, and I'm you know, I'm really just at the point that I'm at, which isn't a perfect point, because um, a new colleague of mine came on board after we had been using the term for a number of years and said, oh, have you all defined equity? And we were like, yes, of course we have. It's this and this and this. And she said, okay, you know, where is it written down? And is it understood by the people you're working with? No, we'd never written it down. We just understood like you and I are that we understood what we meant Mm -hmm. and have been rolling with that. And so she had us sit and define it. And it took some months to get to agreement of what it, what it was, um, what it is. The, the one thing, you know, it's, I, I will say one thing that for me, I think is a good example of the difference between equity and equality is separate but equal, right? So in separate but equal, um, there were scenarios where two high schools would exist in a city, one for the black folks, one for the white folks. The one for the white folks had an Olympic sized swimming pool, huge auditorium, wonderful stage, huge campus. The one for the black school had a swimming pool and an auditorium and some grass, right? The white school had books that, um, you know, let's say Shakespearean books that were brand new. The black school had Shakespearean books that were used by the white folks
0: mm. the
1: year before. And so what they received, those those young people in the high school received a book. They did read Shakespeare. The book may have had text underlined, someone else's name in the front, a page dog-eared or ripped out, right? Um, and those are factual things. So. Yeah. if if one were to say separate but equal, yeah, they were equal in that everyone had a swimming pool, an auditorium, a football team, and some books.
0: Hmm.
1: The quality of the equipment that they had access to was unequal. It was inequitable, right? So we might both have football teams, but the one football team has brand new cleats and you know the best helmets the best shoulder pads and the like the other football team has cleats and a uniform no shoulder pads and maybe the the helmets might be a helmet but the portion that holds it on is broken that is inequitable equal is you both have helmets you both have uniforms you both yeah it is inequitable so if if i'm having you compete on the same field yeah. You're not necessarily. It's not. It is inequitable because the the um, resources that are needed for the person to be able to do as well as possible are not present.
0: Yeah, I I understand that. Um, I think though, I I would, from my perspective, I would argue that a separate but equal is not equal. No, that 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 situation was not equal. No, nope. that would, that is not the definition of equal. No, nope. and so therefore, to make it equal, you have to rate, you know, put the qualities at equal footing, and then it becomes equal. So I think then, would you have to do the whole universe around it? Because right. even if,
1: even in scenarios, if we get the same exact books, if the quality of the instruction I've had access to, yeah, isn't isn't equal, yeah, then. I, it, then it's still, it's still, it's still not, I guess it's still not a panacea. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Um, well, I will say one thing. I think um, that, um, and th- this, this is going to sound terrible. <laughs> Why? Well, only because uh we will. We will never reach hundred percent true equality on every level. Ever. It, it's just. It's. That's but not to say. The question is too, Do you want? You know. Equal, that's not it's kind of boring. It's like, can I just get equity? Can I just? You know no even that okay so i think i think i'm using the word equal in the same way that you're using the word equal, uh, equity i think mm-hmm. um yeah but even that it's just i think i think we should definitely endeavor to equality or in in your in your case you, you use the word equity <laughs> um but I also know that we'll never really get there ever. It, it's just it's just the nature of things. I yeah. think. yeah. Oh, I I I hope people don't take it out of context and misconstrue what I what it is that I'm trying to say. Um, well, you know, we're human. We have to strive for it, right? And we have right. to name it and continue to strive for it, so that. Because you know, here's the thing, yeah. let's say, let's say everything between you and me, right? Let's say everything's equal. The outcome will still be different. We've been given, yeah, we've been given the same thing mm-hmm. in terms of resources, in terms of opportunity, in terms of access, everything, mm-hmm. same level of quality as well. The outcome will still be different. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Be- I, I'm, Just because
0: yeah. you're different and I'm different. That's it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah hmm Yeah. Which is, which is, you know, that, that just is. Um, but I think to hold a set of people or type of people or class of people to account. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. yeah. Um, and, and, and that, that's, that's the thing that, um, you know, I just think, we, we can all do better at yeah. is, is that, you know, what we were talking um, yesterday about sort of what the outcome, likely outcome is gonna be of, you know, what's happening for and not for children during this pandemic right now. yeah You
0: know, it's just, and-
1: Yeah, and,
0: and I think, yeah, I think the fact that everything went virtual, well, what about those kids who don't have computers?
1: Exactly, and what about those kids who have computers and the computers don't work? Yeah, there are also families um, where there are there the district has successfully distributed computers to one hundred percent of the families, but the families have four children in school. Yeah, and they've gotten one computer. Yeah, right. Um, The other thing is that a lot of the computers that are being distributed are you know, sort of known to be not the best type of system for the learning platform that the kids need to learn on. And even with that, we have um, some young people who started out the, they've, they've been used to online learning in their district on a particular online learning platform, and a week or two before school started, they changed the platform. Huh. And the teachers had to, the teachers didn't even know how to use a brand new platform. <laughs> Literally two weeks before school started, they changed the learning platform and trained the teachers on that platform. Yeah. Whose bright idea was that? I don't know, but yeah. that has happened in a number of districts around the country, uh, where, where that is what happened. Yeah. Right. And, you know, what I'm gearing up for is, you know, come August, we're going to see the headlines. Oh, what's going on with our children? Yeah. Oh, you
0: know. I I would say that's one of the things that I really did worry about, uh, you know, with the lockdown and the schools closing is, oh my gosh, so many kids, especially the younger kids, so many kids are going to fall so behind. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, one thing, I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole thing to somehow be able to engage kids through a virtual screen when you know in classroom when they even have struggled in the in-classroom setting yeah so that that alone is a challenge but then how many kids are actually able to get on screen and get screen time you know period like so many kids it's funny I was speaking
1: with one family where the child couldn't get into school because she wasn't old enough and um Like she she didn't meet the cutoff date and the family was panicking, 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 but, um, the child has someone in the family who's a teacher. And so I said, well, what if the teacher just kind of helps the child's family kind of understand what can be done at the home in order to just at least get the child exposed to, you know, words and letters and things like that. Um, But I didn't, I I did not hear that taking hold. It was much more focused on, we got to get her in, we got to get her in, we got to get her
0: in. Mm.
1: Um, And so it's even that, like what happens when we have a pandemic like this and we have, you know, some decades of us being used to having things fed to us Mm -hmm. as opposed to seeking out, finding, and creating on our own, right? Like what about sitting and reading a book if you have a book right yeah. to a child or or going outside if you can or you know i don't know splashing in some water if you can but you know i think societally there may be the there's this shift away from that and things are we're dosed as a society we're dosed like, yeah we're dosed to us as opposed to our Creating and accessing it, um, yeah, and so kind of, it also creates a perfect storm in that way.
0: Yeah, and and I don't know. Uh, sort of related to that is that um, the modern society uh, we are so compartmentally, wholly dependent on institutions, uh, <clears throat> like we like. Parents don't teach their kids anymore. I mean, you used to be like, you learned how to read and write from your parents first, I think, before you even went to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and this is. Or probably, someone down the street. Or someone down the right? street. Yeah. Or, but this mm-hmm. is probably why fast, you know. Uh, pockets of society were illiterate because the parents didn't know how to read and write and that's why you needed the educational institution but I think I think um, educational institutions became a lot more than simply teaching kids uh, how to read and write that is correct I I mean I'm not talking about just subject matters but in in terms of like how much uh, how much we as a society depend on educational institutions and that institution that you know and different institutions for so many things that when things like the pandemic happens and these social fabrics sort of break down or become virtual like you know we don't know how to do things anymore exactly yeah yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean even 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 the notion of like cooking is funny I remember um, some years ago I needed to warm something up and I remember oh, I can put it in a pot <laughs> and that can go on the stove and I can warm it up, right? But it was a, it was a remembering, you know, which is an earth shattering. It was like, oh yeah, I can do that. Or, you know, I can pop popcorn on a stove because I'm out of microwave popcorn <laughs> The kids have said they want popcorn. I have this bag, and just remembering, oh yeah, okay, I can pop this on the stove. I gotta, re- just things like things like that. Um, but yeah, no, I think we, we've handed it over, and and society has built itself around that, right? Mm-hmm. So even you know we're not we're not a society anymore where if children tra- are tra- tra- home, we right. have someone at home with them, yeah, because people are out working. Um, you know, so you can't, and and, and so there's just a few folks who have the privilege of having everything in place so that this online learning thing works better, Mm -hmm. not well necessarily, but better. You've got to have a lot, again, a lot of different resources in place, um, in order for, it to be a, a more robust learning environment. And, you know, that was a part of the thing that was maddening um, in last year was that the, the surveys were often about, do you have a laptop in your house? Tick mm-hmm. yes or tick no. And then if they tick yes, that was the end of the conversation.
0: Yeah, no, not even yeah. like, do you have a current version? Do you have... Well, how about yeah. this? Do you have electricity? You, oh, oh, really? Wait.
1: Yeah, because if, if I have a... If I have a laptop and my family doesn't have work and doesn't have income, uh, so I can't pay for electricity. I see, I see, I see. Yes. Right? Yes. So that was one. Yeah. And then there were scenarios where um, the, the particular community, so not the whole community, but pockets of the community were still, what's the word called? Hmm. Basically like dead spots, no Wi-Fi access. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they were bringing school buses in. And the kids would get on the school bus huh. and do their work on the school bus as a hotspot. Oh, wow. That's wonderful, isn't it? Yes. Now, but that how's took- the community doing with the school bus idling outside of the homes all day long, every day with that exhaust coming out? Oh, right. Just wonder. There are certain communities where if a bus was idling outside all day, every day, a yellow school bus, they would be up in arms and protesting for you know the toxic fumes,
0: right?
1: It wouldn't be happening
0: in certain districts. So, yeah, that's, that's the, the, kind the kind trade-off, of right? Mm-hmm. I-, I think, I think, um, yeah. And so earlier, back when when I when I said when it, you know uh, you have um, different groups of people, different needs and all that, but ultimately, ultimately baseline things we want the same thing and so uh we have to get to a point of compromise but i think i think maybe a better word is trade-off i don't know i don't know if that's a better word but it depends probably depend like the same word
1: with equity it depends on who you're using it with i and guess what meaning so. they attached to it. you yeah. know the one the one thing with the whole equity thing was that we did realize even after the exercise with our new colleague that it was really important every time we were having that conversation with someone we hadn't been speaking with, to hear from them what the definition, what their definition was, and to share what our definition was and then come to understanding of it. Um, but you know, never to say you're wrong. It's just, you know, here here's sort of how we're looking at it, which is yep. really fighting against the historic inequities yeah. that have existed in, you know, particular communities um, in this country. Yeah, right. You have to you have to name it and then and then control for it, right? Going back to the um, earlier thing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. Well, um, so here's a question for you. So, um, given all those problems, and I don't know at what level you know the decision makers and policymakers are aware of these problems. Um, and it, I mean. I hear people saying like um, this kind of virtual classroom setting is not going to go away. It's only going to increase. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah. Is, is that true? Yeah.
1: I absolutely believe that. And I absolutely would, believe, cause I mean, it's basically they've identified market share. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, it's not going to, it's not going away.
0: Uh, so if it's not going away and it's going to increase, what is that, Due to the inequality, sorry, I'm, I'm sort of. No, that's all right. Yeah. that's the
1: question. Yeah, right.
0: That is the question. Yeah, I,
1: I, I, um, I don't know because of the e- even if one had online education in a physical setting, mm-hmm. developmentally for a child is not a that that's not the. If, if if it exists without sort of these social, emotional, um, interactive, personalized experiences, social experiences to balance it out, then it will developmentally stunt children,
0: mm.
1: right? So yeah. children need social interaction. They yeah. need visual cues. That's part of the way that um, beings learn is through visual cues, dialogue, yeah. and things like that. So if one were to have this online setting, it has to be balanced with social, human, personal interaction and spaces where the children can play and just yeah. be and, straight, and children all the way, you know, the, through the whole spectrum. Um, so there, there has to be done with an with an eye toward asset based youth development and human development behavioral
0: um, approaches. Or, so, or, or re- revert back to the times when we were sort of, uh, you know, let loose in the wild and we just, you know, go to the nearby stream and and fish and you know whatever yeah, I mean, because you learn a thousand things through that right you learn a thousand things and and, you, and yeah. your playmates are basically your siblings well mm-hmm. you know and if you're an only child well that kind of sucks for you but you know
1: <laughs> unless you play with people in the neighborhood right so it's, play, yeah but it's um yeah i think so i think i think if this if it's done in an imbalance in an imbalanced way it will be wholly destructive for the society to have to have online learning in a in a yeah in a non-human, with, with an, in, in an imbalance, it'll, it'll be destructive.
0: And I think that that's the thing, isn't it? So if you leave it entirely up to individual family units, then the disparity is going to be quite wide and varied uh, in terms of how a child develops. Um, well, here's a
1: secret though. Um, there are a number of schools in this country where families are paying thousands of dollars to send them there, where the kids are going to school. Oh. Yes. Oh, interesting. They're physically right. going to school. Um, they have the option if they want.
0: Yeah. Of yeah.
1: doing, uh, you know, a hybrid learning. Yeah. Or going in every day yeah. or being home. But yeah, they, they are going to school.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Right? And so, the narrative is kids online learning, learning loss, the, there are going to be sets of children here who yes. not surprisingly yes. are going to emerge relatively whole. Yeah. And relatively on pace academically. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the, again, the thing that is, um, psychically dissonant is they'll be held up as having succeeded.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But, but they got to go to school. Yeah. That's <laughs> a small minority. So here's the sort of the. Flip. It is a small minority.
1: However, the narrative is a very broad, loud narrative. And if huh. one were to test those kids. So if we reinstate yeah. state, state tests and state assessments for academic progress, then you would see a disparity between how they test and how the others test. Or if you wind up reinstating in a more robust manner, the SAT and the ACT, and then you disaggregate the scores, no one's going to say if the scores of certain sets of folks are higher, no one's going to put that in context. And that's all. Just put it in context because when you don't put it in context, again, it creates an inequitable conversation and it's an inequitable um, results. Yeah. 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 It's just,
0: I, I'm telling you, I mean, it's, oh, it's, it's a Oh, this is going to be a whole, uh, yeah, mess.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we're creating yeah. such a mess.
1: Yeah. So the trick is yeah. to listen for the truth and listen for the light and figure out how to navigate within that. But yes, if everyone buys into the, oh, the poor kids failed, what are we gonna do about the poor kids? And then all we're gonna do is have conversations over conversations to study and interrogate and do national convenings around the the kids who failed, while the kids are still failing, that's gonna be tragic, right? So, so that's yeah. where got the because if they fail, okay, it, w- it was, you know, unprecedented situation. No one knew what to do. Yes, we're going to have some learning loss. The choice point is, are we going to spend time talking about it, studying it, having national symposiums, period? Or are we going to dive in and try to help the children get back on track? Both of those things can happen, but if most of our energy is on blaming and naming and shaming, then we're continuing, we're adding additional harm to the children, and that will be our choice. The pandemic's not our choice. That will be our choice. We're going to choose to name shame and blame rather than
0: help the children. Is is that happening, or is is it something that you are hoping doesn't happen? The name shame and blame? Yeah.
1: That's what That's what um, I think we as a country are inclined to do. Well, historically. I, um, so, I think
0: we as a human being, we're inclined to do. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, but we can choose differently. Like all of this is about, we can choose differently and it's not easy, it's going to be costly. It may cost reputations, it may cost jobs but we can choose differently because what we know is what we've done
0: isn't working so yeah and and I do wonder about that on so many fronts um that why this and I don't know if I really want to get into a whole conversation about this because this could take another three hours but uh yeah, yeah but but why why this country in particular have such uh weak or confused or conflicting political will, ineffective political will. Essentially, the outcome is it's across uh, everything, or just for education. Uh, across lots of things. I wouldn't say everything. Uh, well, I think you know. I don't think things. we've interrogated the notion of what all really means.
1: Right. We we have public education for everyone. Right, and so the narrative is: if you get a really good public education, everyone can um, go to college, and that's the, the the systems aren't set up for that. That's not true. You you I mean you you can, but the amount of things that you have to navigate to get to college. Um, really result in what about 25%, 30% of our population going to college. And so if we were really, really, really concerned about that, we would back map and figure out what is it that prevents more of our population from going to school. And it's not just that they're not academically prepared. There are other things within the system that make it difficult. Whereas other countries that we compare ourselves to, I I don't know that they operate and that sort of narrative that everyone, if you just work hard, you can go to college. Uh,
0: oh, that's interesting. That's a different yeah. sort of take on it. Yeah, cause yeah. we got,
1: you know, cause I I don't, I, I'm not, I've not heard things, you know even with the British system, it's different, right? In one point you have to take the A levels and then you go, and then another point you take the O levels and then you go. So there are these kind of like steps um, but here, oh, just graduate high school, apply to college. You can go to college. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, and again, you can, but in the perfect world, I would, you know, someone would be working with the families or the unit, the, 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 the unit around the child, right? With those families, whomever. They would be working with the unit around the child from the moment of conception and mapping all the way through to this thing called college college, right? Yep. Because from the moment of conception, you know, you need to be eating right, you need really good prenatal care, you need all the way through. Yeah. If you really wanted everyone to be able to do this, we're, we, we keep saying these things that no one has checked for accuracy. I,
0: yeah. I I often do wonder about that, and I'm not sure if that is the healthiest way to do that because the whole it becomes the whole point of you know okay the ultimate goal is to get a good job. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you must go to the right college and get a degree. Well, now to get a good job because of the um,
1: shifting of this economy. To get a good job, you often now have to have a particular credential, or um, you know, sort of military pathway, yeah. or college degree. Yeah. In in order to get a, a living wage, so that you can make decisions based on where you live, your health care, yeah. et cetera, et cetera.
0: So. Uh... So, so I actually had a conversation with... Um, so I used to teach Sunday school and um, like fourth grade, fifth grade or something like that. And, I, and one of the kids, he, I think it was like fourth or fifth grade. Uh, I had a conversation with this boy and, um, and this is kind of like what he said. Um, he was in elementary school and he was worried about going to the right or or good junior high school mm. and i said you know and he was really genuinely burdened mm-hmm. with this worry mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and i said okay so let's say you get into that junior high school that you want to and then what and then he said so i could get into this high school well this is new york so probably he yeah. said stuyvesant probably yeah yeah um Or maybe it was, you know, Hunter High School. I don't know. One of those. But, you know, so I could get into this high school. And then I said, okay, and then what? So I could get into this college. And then what? So I could get this kind of job. And then what? And then, like, he had no answer. But the thing is, these are not his thoughts. This was fed to him. Mm -hmm. And, And the thing is, and that sort of whole thing. And I'm wondering, you know, yes, I know that that is the reality. In order to get a good job that you have to have certain credentials and and so forth because these pathways have been sort of paved uh, over time. And um, the, you know, um, companies won't hire you unless you're from XYZ high schools. I mean, they won't even recruit, you know, they would only recruit from these uh, colleges and that's it. And, you know, won't even entertain applicants from colleges outside of the the limited number of schools campuses that they would recruit from and so forth um i know that's the reality but at the same time you know what if you went to like a local high school went to a you know city university (laughs) or community college whatever and still gets a, a job that you could make a living off of you know i mean i don't know that I, you get a job that you couldn't make a living off that you of, could right That you could yeah yeah, yeah.
1: That, i mean it, it, again so so that's part of the access thing right the narrative is that someone must go to these particular places in order to get that particular job yeah that narrative is a narrative again that perpetuates yes so that when that young man that you were talking to in your Sunday school class didn't get into doesn't get into the junior high school that he sees as the step to his future as soon as he doesn't get into that junior high school and then what he's He's already exactly yes exactly and And so yeah Is not true. And so that's where you come in with this advocacy and access. Access isn't about accessing a certain type of school. Access is about having an informed mindset, pathway, resources, strategies, um, and ability to navigate or someone to help you navigate so that if you are in the room where it happens, you know how to move within that room. Yeah. That's what that is. But yeah. yeah, I mean, there are people all the time.
0: That's who, a very, very healthy way of looking at it.
1: I it love it. It is absolutely yeah. true. So there's a man I talk about a lot of time who I encountered um, on one of my commutes. And you know, his daughter was with him and he was um, selling some stuff uh, to, to folks, it was like candy or something like that. Um, and his daughter was with him. And, you know, I said to him, I said, you know, because someone was chiding him for having his daughter with him um, after school. And so I started chatting with her and then I told him, I said, oh, I think she had a book. I was like, would you like to read? And she said, yes. And I told her, dad, you should read to her, read whatever you can to her, right? Um, and when you read to her, ask her questions about it. What did she think? Mm. What does she think is going to happen next? Uh, what was her favorite part? Have her talk to you about it. I said, if it's a newspaper, if it's a scrap a page out of a magazine you can find, or if it's a book that you have at home, right? Not to make assumptions. Read to her. No one ever told me that, right? What I learned. What I learned is no. And I said because that is what helps to create literacy yeah I said the trick is you want her to be literate not just read I found that out the hard way you know so I'm reading like Tom Blue in the face I didn't know all those different things you were supposed to do to um create uh literacy right and luckily I was able to we were able to find someone to work with um our kid on that but The school setting I was in wasn't, uh, at the time, was not really as helpful as I needed them to be for that. So that's the kind of stuff. Like, you might be in the best school, and, you know, your kid might be reading, but then you're shocked because your kid's not literate. Well, your kid's not literate because no one really broke down for you what it takes to be literate. Right. All they're going to do is keep telling you that their literacy score is low and not tell you the yeah. tools that you can use to get the literacy score up, right? Um, it is it, those kinds of things that happen. And I don't think it's, it's the education system's fault or anything, but someone can't ask what they don't know. And a lot of times people don't tell what they think the parents don't know. They're just, you know, right? So those are, um, I don't know how I got on that.
0: Um, I don't know how I got on that. Yeah, I don't um, remember. Yeah, but this important. Well, well, this is just the observation. I, I do notice that the term literate is also sort of redefined um, because literacy is you can read and then what goes beyond that is uh maybe comprehension uh Mm -hmm. and uh inquisitiveness and critical thinking and um yes and
1: and the education term generally is literacy right and and within that is comprehension uh, oh i see i see i see right again no one tells us that right so if and and then from a racialized perspective i guess
0: i'm looking at it from a dictionary uh definition which is yeah but which is what apparent right so from a racialized
1: perspective if i'm sitting across on someone they say your kid isn't literate i'm getting mad what what do you mean because historically yeah black folks weren't literate so like what are you saying about me if you're telling me my kid is not literate my answer might immediately be he can read and in the way I deliver that answer to the teacher, the teacher might shut down because she or he is perceiving that I'm angry, which I am.
0: And oh. so then
1: you don't have a conversation. But
0: right? then why why use that term? Why not break it down? It you Because know, and quite say,
1: often yeah. it's lexicon. And so that's yeah. what we found in working in advocacy. We would be in spaces where policymakers might come in and they're using terminology that's there. Yeah. Basically, their shop talk is their lexicon. Yeah. But the people that they're talking to understand the terms differently. Yeah. But the policymakers don't know that those terms have, you know, some are fraught with pain and, and anger. They don't yeah. know. So, what happens a lot of times is they'll, you know, you'll say, oh, we had, you know, we had families in for this particular meeting and, you know, the conversation didn't go well. It didn't go well partly because you all were talking across purposes you didn't understand that you were using terms that yeah. that weren't being understood and so a lot of times there's there's a need for understanding yeah that sometimes the amount of time someone has like a back to school now or parent teacher night they usually have 15 minutes with the families and yeah. there are a lot of families there isn't, there isn't time um, for that uh, to do. Is is I remember one point when um, in elementary school, I, we were having a talk and you know I was being spoken over. And I said um, something about uh, are you using a scaffolding, scaffolded approach to work with your children? And the teacher took a step back because that's a that's a lexicon, that's teacher talk. And I did it on purpose so that the listening might change, and they may have a conversation. Yes. Yeah, I purposely purposely did that so so there would be an understanding that you know you really need to quit talking,
0: trying to talk over me. I, you know, well, see now here I can see now why somebody would sort of spin that into a racial argument
1: it's the easiest thing to do but yes. quite often it's not and again, I know. again that comes from fear and lack and anger It's often and and so that that is the space of work that that needs to be done that's a space of work that i've found myself in and it is a seat i've through my lived experience i've been in when someone said something to me and i have to translate it really, really quickly. I'm like, okay, is this, where are we coming from? Right. Right? right, And depending on what the interaction is, often I'll ask for clarification or I'll speak to get clarification so that we can continue on what's going on. But that happens on a pretty regular basis where... It's almost like if you if you could have like a physical machine is constant filtering, translate, filter, translate, yeah. and then interact.
0: Filter, translate,
1: interact, and it happens in a nanosecond.
0: But you see that happens in a lot of different spheres: in education, in medicine, in grocery stores. <laughs>
1: oh, oh my goodness! Yeah, the whole the whole yeah. stepping in front of you in line thing. <laughs> oh my goodness and you know i sometimes it honestly is a mistake and then other times it's i'm
0: invisible yeah and i'm invisible because i'm black but and, but here, yeah. here's the thing it's like so but if you if you do have that uh lens on you're gonna see everything that way even when it's not but the, and that, that's what i'm saying that's when the translate
1: thing happens so i i have it when it happens the thing i could go to is you're being racist i could go to that i could go to you're doing this because i'm black right what i know is one what i know is it's not necessarily the case two that's exhausting (sighs) right and i you know i just don't want to live my every single day having everything that happens to me be because i'm black that's exhausting and i yeah. don't want to exhaust myself i have work to do yeah so yeah it, it that... doesn't do it doesn't do me any good yeah to see everything from a, a racialized um uh victimized manner
0: yeah it, it doesn't it's just no. I don't think it serves you. And I think that narrative doesn't serve you. It doesn't, it doesn't serve, serve me. It may serve somebody else. Uh, uh, it well, does not serve me. It may serve somebody else. The people who sort of purport this and, and propagate this. It serves them, but not to the means that they want.
1: I don't know. I'm sorry. So,
0: not to the end. The means does not serve the end. Ends but that I don't want. know that. I don't know that, JJ. What, what I do yeah. know what I do know, because see, just like I- Or at least the end they say they want. Maybe what they really want is not what they're saying. I'd have to talk to them. Well, I, yes. Yeah, that's the thing. But but what I know for me is
1: I I have tried a number of different approaches and this, this approach is what works for me. Because the other thing is in the work that I do working primarily on be, on behalf of underserved and black and brown communities, primarily. I'm also very, very clear that we're, we're not this monolith, like yep. something, I, I cannot work in that space separate and apart from human beings. And so I need to be able to work with everyone and I also have been privy to be in spaces where my assumptions have been checked. I cannot make assumptions about anyone yeah, yeah. based on what I see. Yeah, you're um, right. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to because that's to, for me, that's to live in a very limited way. Mm. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't make me better as an individual. And it compromises, again, I think the work that I've been assigned to do. Yeah. Um, by my creator. Um, you know, that's, that's not it. It's funny. I said to someone one time, you know, is it really, is it really my role to go around and stamp everyone as racist? Or is that my job? <laughs> I, Some you know, people I don't, think so. Yeah, but I don't think it's my job. Cause again, in, in my mind, I'm getting ahead of God. That's yeah. not my job. Yeah. You know, now what I can, cause the other thing is what happens is people get labeled and then there's no dialogue. Right? Yeah. Now, if I'm going to say what you did was, um, you know, struck, was racist, then, you know, let's talk about this. But as soon as I've called you racist, I'm doing name calling. Right. And no one likes to be called a name. And so we're not going to have a dialogue.
0: Right. Right instead so, of saying instead of accusing someone you know even if you think they're being racist instead of saying hey that's racist you could you could turn that question around very easily to promote that dialogue and say hey why did you say that or why did you do that that's yeah, it it's yeah, that simple a exactly. question. they will let them explain themselves yeah why did you do it
1: da, 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 and then you know at some point you could say you know you know as as a black woman when you did that, it made me feel like you were doing it because of the way I look, right? right? And but here then we can talk about that. But I can't yeah. necessarily,
0: you know. But here's the thing: let's say, let's say that that happened, right? Let's say I said something to you, and then you took offense, um, because it sounded racist or whatever, right? And then, and then you say, "Hey, why did you say that?" And I explain myself, and let's say that. You still don't accept that explanation. And you still think that's coming from a racist place, even though I don't think so. Mm-hmm. At, at that point, you know, what happens? Because.
1: <laughs> it, I mean, I think it depends. I think it depends. It depends on the relationship you're in or something like that. But, you know, what, again, what I know, having lived for five decades, there is no racist police, right? I'm yep. not, you know. And so, what what I am what I am more interested in is, if at the end of the dialogue, your belief system is still such that I think you have a compromised worldview, is that compromised worldview negatively imp- impacting me, the folks? around me the system we're in the thing I need to accomplish with you that kind of stuff right so if I was working you know on like some some policy thing with someone and something came up and then we can't agree but then we're supposed to be working on racial equity that's a problem that's a problem and we would have to figure out like I got to figure out how I'm going to work with you if you're seeing things Already from a from a racist perspective, Um, or if the person was, you know, an instructor of someone I know, and I would always be questioning at the end of a particular semester whether or not the grade I got, unless it's an A. Yeah. You know, did it? Did I get the B plus? because you just couldn't bring yourself to give me the A minus because you can't get past this. Uh, So so that's, that's, it compromises things.
0: It compromises things also, like you said, it's exhausting. And it's also, you're basically second guessing everything. Everyone's motivation.
1: Yeah, but you can also have positionality, right? So if I knew that I had someone who was like that as a professor, then you can, you know, positionality, right? One could, first of all, you make sure anything that is extra credit, you do it. If the person says, come to office hours, you show up. And then if, I was talking to this grown woman who's going through this right now in a PhD program, it's crazy. And she was saying that, the professor was saying like like straight up, like racist. I'm like, bad um and she and like singling her out in class yeah. and saying well you know your people think this about such and such in wow. class and like to the point that white people were defending her wow. <laughs> right and telling the professor that she was wrong and yeah. so um one of the things you know finally this is a woman I just met one of the things I told her, I said well number one you got to quit trying to correct her in front of everyone, because she's keeping you on the defensive constantly. Um, secondly, have you perhaps reported her to anyone? Mm. And she said, no. Ooh. OK. So if if the woman knows every single time you come to class that you're going to be able to be sort of the, the punching bag, if you will, and that you're not going to do it, and that you're going to continue to interact with them, just again, from a human behavior perspective, why should she treat you differently mm. if, if you're going to interact with her every single time that happens? Yeah, no repercussion. It could be that the woman enjoys having this kind of banter
0: Maybe. in the class.
1: Yeah. So, but it was it was fascinating, and it was hard for me because you know my, the first time I was called out my name, I was six years old. Six years old. So, you know. Uh, unfortunately, it can be had,
0: terrifying. I remember the first time I was called out. Well, actually, I don't remember specific incidents, but you know, being called out, depending on the situation, it can be terrifying.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't remember being terrified. I remember being offended because I knew it was oh, a, it was a okay. bad name. And so I called the boy a bad name that we would call white people at that time. And, oh, Oh, you mean that kind of calling out. Sorry, sorry. Oh yeah yeah, 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 so he, call, he called me the N word and I called him um, the word that was used for white people. And then we both got in trouble, um, but I was in first grade. I was mm-hmm. in first grade, they happened on the, on the uh, playground. And so I, you know, if, if my parents went in and talked to anyone, I didn't know about it, but what I do know is I was told, it was acknowledged that that name was hurtful and mm-hmm. not right. And then I was also reprimanded for name calling
0: mm-hmm. the
1: person, mm-hmm. right? So they were very clear, you know, that's not right. Um, and, you know, we went on, but and then the second incident, I remember, I think it was in second grade where I was walking on the wall. We were not supposed to walk on the wall, but I was walking on the wall at school <laughs> and uh, my friend who's was white was walking on the wall at school and I got snatched off the wall. And she was told to come down off the wall. And I got uh, physically snatched off the wall and reprimanded and all this stuff. So I went home all indignant about how incredibly unfair it was. And my mother said, mm-hmm. she said, uh, you're supposed to be walking on the wall. Yeah. I said, no, but it's unfair. And you know, my friend didn't get in trouble and did it. She said, were well, you supposed to be walking on the wall? Yeah. And I said, no. Uh, Passionate as well she asked me one more time and I said no she said thank you she said now what you also need to understand is in situations like that you are always going to get in more trouble than the other person that is what she said I was in second grade yeah because
0: because of
1: your race because of my race yes I'm editing a little but yeah she she was just like yeah yeah you're always going to get in more trouble because you're black period and there was no discussion it was just a statement um and I was I was in second grade
0: yeah Mm -hmm. well now here's the thing and um so we're we're sort of Oh, I think we've been talking quite a while. We've been, we talking, have been. Oh, Yeah. So <laughs> I I think at some point we need to end, but I would like to continue this conversation at a later time because mm-hmm. um because I think this is important. Um it, it, so what your mother said um I want to pick up there.
1: Okay. And
0: um because I don't want to Actually, I don't want to ask the question now because then it, it will continue for another two hours. I, I will say this. No. The, one, the one thing for me, I
1: always knew I was loved yeah. in my family and you know, broadly defined. So not only my, the nuclear family, but uh, my, my extended family and then the family of community. There was just, I always knew that. The other thing that I had from very early on was um, access to information about our people. And I had examples of leaders um, in my life who were Black, right? And so, you know, that ranged from having a Black doctor to having, you know, at church, the pastor was Black, right? So the... I, I had a counter-narrative yeah. to anything that could suggest that that we weren't good enough. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, but I also had the fact, and yeah, she just like, that's yeah. the
0: fact. Well, I think, but that, that kind of also uh, feeds into a particular narrative um, and whether it's true or not. But th- this is what you're being told by your mother. This is what's being told in the Black community. Um,
1: sometimes, but I, I know people now who do not tell their children that they do not tell their children that. And then the children, when it happens to them, they are deeply, deeply wounded and the the parents don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to have the conversation and quote, I never wanted to have that conversation with my child, unquote, is hmm. what has been said to me. Yeah, and it's it's shocking to me um, that, but yeah, that 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 is happening in the here and now, yeah. where they are not having the kind, they're choosing not to have those conversations with their children, and so the children aren't equipped to navigate when they are in a racialized experience.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to get into the whole sort of um, the larger narratives and the history and all that. Uh, so. A couple of things that I, I've been doing is I've been looking into the history of Black America, um, going back to the days of slavery. And and actually thinking about this, I had sort of, you know, thinking about this on my own, I had two questions. One is um, how and why sort of the, the racial tensions, and the, the race relations that evolved in America is distinct from other countries. And so the U.S. is not the only country that had Black slaves. Mm-hmm. And yet this is how the story sort of took shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so something something is distinct about the U.S. and how it evolved and how the... Culture evolved and and everything else. Uh, so yeah. So um, and I, I'm reading this book. Do you know Thomas Soul? Thomas S O W E L L. I think. No. Um, What's he, the book? Hold on. He wrote this book. Black rednecks and white. Liberals, interesting. Um, yeah, and he takes a very different kind of approach. The way he, well, we'll get into this next time. So okay, yeah, if you do have the time, just kind of like at least Wikipedia him. And, yeah, send me yeah.
1: send me the information.
0: And yeah, I'll, I'll look that up.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I I think it would be interesting to look at the impact of um, the. Uh, the law and the fact that there are all these like legal, um, it's built into the system. Like there are a set of laws, right, from the early I think this the 1600s, 1500s, was built into the very fabric of this country, and it predates the Constitution. Some of these laws about um, black folks, chattel slavery, things like that. So I, I wonder, I don't know, sort of how it might differ from how um, Britain handle it. The other thing that might be interesting is if you look at Britain and Portugal, Spain, and a lot of other countries that were involved in the um, trafficking of African uh, human beings is I would believe that the majority of those enslaved people were in territories or lands that were not, that particular country, right? So, mm. did Spain have the majority of its trafficked African people coming to Spain, or were they going to their colonies and the like? Same right, thing with right, Portugal, right. right? Whereas in America, right, they came, right? And because America was the was the colony, exactly. Yeah. And but America brought its own people, no. Eventually,
0: yeah. no. Eventually, yes. But before before it became an independent country, it was the colony.
1: Yeah, and yeah. so and and then for if you think about for what work purposes those folks were brought, here, yeah. It's it's just so that that may be maybe that's the difference. Um, well, you know, um, and I think this. Oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah. So Thomas o, um, I, just reading or I'm listening to the audiobook. book, um, but you know, listening to his book, um, the, the approach he takes, he, well, he's, he's talking about the, the culture, and where, how the culture evolved. So he's not necessarily talking about the, about the slavery itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can all agree slavery was terrible. Mm-hmm. It is an abomination. It needed mm-hmm. to be abolished, and eventually it was. And it was abolished not only in the U.S. It was abolished around the world, mm-hmm. the entire world. At you know between, uh, I forget what the time frame is. Somewhere in the 1800s through, uh, through 1900s. It actually it spanned over uh, a uh, over a time period of about a hundred years. It took that long. But to put it in, in context, my yeah. grandfather was
1: born in the
0: late 1800s, right? Late 1800s, right? So my grandfather was born in the 1890s. Yeah. So after, mm-hmm. well, in the middle, well, after the U.S. abolished it, but in the middle of that worldwide abolition, yes. Um. Yeah. It, I think the the last place uh, slavery was, uh illegalized was 1999 or something it was like 1900 something was that late <laughs> probably yeah, yeah. Absolutely. yeah absolutely yeah actually yeah. when I found that I'm like wow it that was quite astonishing um, which also
1: kind of goes into why are we still kind of broken right it wasn't like the whole country said hey yep we got it we're gonna all be done at the yeah, same time, but, right? but I
0: think there were there were a few things that happened in the U.S. that were unique to the U.S. And this yes. is why I think the race race relations and racial tensions that exist in the U.S. is also unique to the U.S. I think we should talk about that next. It's interesting. Yeah. I yeah, think that would
1: be very interesting.
0: Uh, well, I, I think I would say the the common narrative that uh, maybe... I I will say this. I don't think... Many black people would embrace Thomas Soul's uh, perspective on. <laughs> I don't know because it's it's very different. Anyway, um, well, I yes, yeah, send it yeah. to me. I'd be interested to um, see. I
1: will say if I had a uh, if I had heard the title of that book from someone I did
0: not love and trust, I would be like, you yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm I'm gonna say just listening to it uh it gives me another perspective uh i'm not sure i agree with everything but some of it certainly explains so yeah you know, a lot and, you know the one thing it's a provocative yeah. title he needs to you know so yeah yes but he i does. think he himself may be a controversial a controversial figure um, interesting okay yeah please i am yeah. look forward to seeing yeah that. Uh, he's definitely yeah. in the political spectrum he's definitely on the right mm-hmm. he's conservative yeah well thank you i appreciate you yeah this has been great um i'm hearing a ringing sound i don't know if that's transmitting to you no but um okay that's good so it's just on my end um but anyway so yeah we've talked it for a really long time and I'm, i'm so happy that it was you who were who was my guest uh on my on the very first episode of my podcast called beer cake uh the podcast is not about beer it's not about cake it's about everything else it <laughs> is some really good beer cake too so thank yeah. you thank yeah. you I'm, um, I'm thankful to be your first guest thank you so oh much. yeah uh absolutely and and we're definitely going to continue this conversation uh you and I we could schedule it offline but um to everyone else who's listening thank you so much and if you listen to the entire thing oh my gosh you're amazing <laughs> And please do come back because I'll be talking about other things with other guests. Um, Wonderful. I guess with that, thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you and good night. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Pure Cake with JJ Co. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time.